having lived experience of both Western and Eastern feminism, are there any overlapping patterns derived from patriarchal values which you think hold all women back universally? I'm asking you this because, you know, you've had lived experience of yeah. both. So I think yeah. you could probably have a very well-rounded view of that. Hmm. Yes, I think there definitely are patterns. Mm. Um, and it's interesting for me seeing it from both these lenses. Yeah. So, so when I lived in India, it was kind of fighting for basic rights, mm. right? Yeah. Um, the right to, I don't know, choose a partner, the right to wear what you wanted, the right not to be molested, you know, so they're quite basic rights. Right. So yeah. that's in India, but even here in the West, mm. in the UK, there are so many instances that women are held back because patriarchal structures. And what do they tell us? They tell us mm. we have to be slim. They tell us we have to be hairless. They tell us uh, <laughs> yeah. we have to kind of, um, you know, follow these specific ways of, uh, of being, specific ways of being beautiful, quote unquote. Mm. And only then do we fit in. And that's patriarchy. Because yeah. who, who decided that you've got to be slim? Who decided that uh, we can't have pubic hair? Hello everyone. Welcome to a brand new season of Brown Don't Frown, a podcast which was inspired by my own personal story and journey with womanhood and feminism. It's a podcast where we celebrate new perspectives and unconventional thinking. Brown Don't Frown seeks to build a more inclusive discourse which breaks down the prejudice and assumptions about different passions, opinions and cultures and shines a light on the stories of underrepresented women who do not fit the typical criteria or ideals of mainstream feminism. I am your host, Tani Hardcastle. Stay tuned for what we hope to be an informative, engaging and thought-provoking season three. We have some incredible guests lined up, including other podcasters, change makers in the fields of climate change, artificial intelligence, technology, environmental campaigns, South Asian mental health awareness and bereavement, as well as personal stories in the wake of Black Lives Matter. If you have thoughts or comments or would like to get in touch and contribute to the podcast in any way, please do feel free to get in touch at browndontfrownpod at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. Take care and stay safe. With me today is Sangeetha Pillai, founder of Soul Sutras, a feminist platform tackling taboos in South Asian culture. She has run workshops theatre productions and also the award-winning Masala podcast. So first of all, welcome Sangeetha and thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm really good. Um, it's been a busy day. It's kind of quite good to sort of sit down and uh, take a breather. And like I was yeah. saying to you earlier, I've been painting my flat. So this is, this is different. That's yes. Crazy. 
well and this is creative as well in different ways <laughs> yeah definitely uh, as i said yeah I'll, I'll probably be uh asking you for some tips because uh, i'll be painting yeah. pretty soon as well i don't know where to start to be honest i don't think i've ever painted i think i maybe oh. painted, painted a fence once but not like yeah, an actual yeah. room so yeah it'll be quite an experience i'm sure yeah painting is the only bit of diy that i'm actually good at Oh, okay. I say good in a in a very general kind of way. I have a very slapdash approach to painting. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, so, like, even if you do it wrong, you can just go over it, right? Exactly. So you can't really make any mistakes. Exactly. You can't just have fun with it and splash a bit of paint around. It's good. It's good for the soul. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, no doubt you've been asked this countless times before, but would you mind telling us a bit more about your motivations behind Soul Sutras and uh, what inspired you to create it? Um, so I grew up in a very traditional family in India, in Mumbai. Um, yeah. I moved to the UK about 15 years ago. All the time that I lived and kind of grew up in India, uh, I had to battle for everything. I had to battle for the length of my hair to uh, what kind of job I wanted to do or whether I you know, could say no to having an arranged marriage. So pretty much my entire life has been a battle to have a voice, mm. to have opinions, to decide what my life was going to be. So it feels like my entire life has been a preparation for the work I do with Soul Sutras. Yeah, leading um, up to it, yeah. Leading up to it. And I think finally, I feel like I'm doing the thing I was born to do. Mm. Um, I've just been preparing for decades and decades. And now I'm finally doing the thing yeah. I was meant to do all along. Yeah. Um, it feels like my truest self uh, and my most authentic self, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that's where the work comes from. Fantastic. Well, uh, I have listened to several episodes of Masala podcast and the guests that you have are always so insightful and they bring so many different experiences and things. So I think it's so important, um, especially with some of the taboo topics that you cover to shine a light on you know, South Asian women and some of the stigma that they face, you know, from the most, you know, the, the, the very people who are meant to be their allies and there for them, their family members can often be very, I guess, denigratory against our actions, what we do, how we behave, what we're allowed to do, what we're not allowed to do. And the fact that you were courageous enough to shine light on it is, is pretty incredible. So yeah, definitely commend you for that. And one thing I want to cover today is South Asia broadly as a continent, but we all know that South Asia is made up of so many diverse countries, ethnicities, cultures, faiths, and, and traditions as well. And one thing I guess that we share universally across South Asia and beyond uh, is, is that patriarchy is a, is a part and parcel of our social fabric and it reinforces both formal and informal settings. Within it, we've got gender disparity, which has been invented and sort of grown and evolved through people's mindsets and attitudes for many, many thousands of years through their traditions as well and through the internalization of patriarchal values by both men and women and you spoke a bit about your background and you know as a Carolyn born Indian having spent a large part of your life in India and now in the UK you've been fortunate enough to experience the best of both worlds and I as have, a South yeah. Asian yeah exactly as a South Asian growing up in India and now I guess a, a Brit a South Asian Brit what does intersectionality mean to you? Um, I think within um, 
the UK, um, the dominant narrative is very much the white middle class um, male primarily narrative. Mm. So I think um, voices like ours um, are super important. Yeah. Because there are millions of women like you and I who don't hear voices that sound like us or yeah. talk about the things that are front and center in their lives. Mm. Um, so to me, I think it's super, super important that um, British people hear um, different experiences because Britain is made up of a lot of cultures. Um, I mean, migration has been going on here for millennia, you know? Yeah. But it's it's just that we're kind of stuck with this one narrative. And I think um, impressing on people how important it is that we change that, mm. how urgent yeah. it is that we change that with podcasts, with books, with um, conversations, you know, dialogue of yeah. all kind. I think that's, that's, I think, really, really key. Yeah. Yeah. So in we a way... Don't challenge it or don't change it. That yeah. the dominant narrative just remains yeah so in a way i guess for you intersectionality is about proper representation absolutely absolutely and, yeah having having a and authentic representation of... not just the tick boxing which i think tends to happen a lot yeah um you know even with things like i don't know if you remember seeing the bbc uh, indian summer i think it was was it two years ago or a year ago something like that there was a whole season of um, shows and um, documentaries and things but a lot of it didn't feel really authentic to me to the South Asian experience now mm. in the UK it felt mm. quite dated date outdated so it's not yeah yeah so it's not enough to say here's a tick box here's uh, um, us covering South Asians I think mm. it's important to um, for those in power or those making the decisions mm. to really connect with the people on the ground who are actually doing the work yeah that connects with that audience yes um, i don't know if that makes sense i've gone off on one there but. no no that completely <laughs> makes sense uh, and i think you know the fact that we had the first of its kind this year we had uh, south asian heritage month yeah because that really you know um closed a gap in in yeah. in this industry you know Absolutely. we don't have representation about you know that that shares sheds a light on our culture on yeah. our preferences our likes our dislikes and and what really thrills us as, as yeah, south asian absolutely. south asians so and we make up such a big part um of, of the ethnic minority in the uk as well so yeah it's, it's good that we were able to shine a light on it and yeah i'm looking forward to next year i guess as well yeah um, me too i thought it was fantastic to be in yeah. a room um with uh, other South Asians connect about kind of our culture, talk about the problems. I think it's yeah. fantastic. And I hope there's more and more and more of this. Yes, definitely. And I wanted to ask, you know, are there any elements or, or principles of feminism in India that you wish applied here in the UK and, and vice versa? Um, yes. Um, so the patriarchy is very strong in India. I don't know if you follow the news in India. It's very much alive and kicking and uh, doing awful things to women yeah. in India. Um, so that's clearly not okay. And I think there are a lot of Indian feminists doing some amazing work. What I would love to, however, bring to maybe um, British feminism from, from Indian feminism, if it were, 
are traditions that we've completely forgotten about, like things like the Kama Sutra, right? Mm. Or things like Tantra, yeah, particularly, which is all about female sexuality and the divine feminine. Self-expression. There's a worshipping. Yeah. Yeah. There's a worshipping of female energy. Mm. Um, and I think that has been kind of lost within kind of traditions here, I think. Mm. So there's almost a perception that to be a strong feminist, you have to be like a man. You have to be male. <laughs> like the qualities of a strong feminist are somebody who, I don't know, kicks ass and busts balls and, you know, like he's aggressive and is this and that. But that doesn't have to be. So if you look at Tantra, if you look at the feminine is soft, but it is super powerful. Yes. Right? Yeah. Kali and Durga, you know. Um, so there are different forms of the, of the divine feminine. Mm. She can be soft one minute, but if you piss her off, she'll cut your head off, you know. <laughs> so, <that's, laughs> so that duality of feminism or feminine experience, I think, doesn't really exist in the UK. And I'd love mm. to invite some magic wand to we to kind of wave that and say hey hang on a minute this is feminism as well yeah yeah I, so I, that's yeah. something i would love to do obviously i'm talking you know third century bc or whatever you know um but you know it, it's a wonderful part of um the south asian feminist experience i think yeah um yeah. and the reverse what i would love to do from india or india because you know that's where i come from that's where i've grown up you know there's so much inequality Mm. um and women have to fight so hard for so many things that we in the uk take for granted yeah no i don't think feminists in in the in this country understand how difficult it is for the ordinary woman Mm -hmm. in india Mm -hmm. like living in india i mean i'd get groped every single day from the time i was about 12 to kind of I could defend myself in my 20s Mm. every day is a battle to kind of protect yourself to kind of not be attacked not be molested yeah you know so things that we take for granted in this country do not Mm. exist in countries like India I mean you're protected if you are privileged or have money yeah but a woman on the street you know that's the reality yeah yeah so I'd love for some of the some of the uh, opportunities and some of the protection that we have in this country Mm. to go Mm. over to India. Mm. Again, that's, it's wishful thinking and waving a magic wand again. Well, I mean, progress is being made. It's it's slow, but, but it is happening. We've seen a lot of activism, especially in the last few months, I think in a lot of South Asian countries, I think Bangladesh has been a lot of, um, A lot of uprisings as a result of, I think, some rapes happening uh, within the institutional level, which is clearly not acceptable. And people are fighting against that and and causing um, a lot of disruption, which is certainly welcome. It's really yeah. interesting that you mentioned the, the Kama Sutra is something that you'd want to bring to the UK, because um, I definitely hear you on that point. I think there's a, a central focus with sexual empowerment or just the portrayal of sex and, and how it's meant to be enjoyed in the UK. Yeah. And it's very sort of focused on, on the man and pleasing the man yeah. and doing whatever for the man, as opposed to focusing on women and what they can yeah. do in terms of sexual empowerment. Uh, and that you can be sort of, it can, it can be seen through films, I think a lot of the time in representation and across, uh, across the big screen and, you know, even in television shows where, the dominator during insects is 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 the male and not the female. And the thing with the Kama Sutra is it's it's very um, focused on on empowerment of both sexes, you know. And yes, the, exactly. The varying positions are for both, you know, for both yes, men and absolutely. women. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think 
the way sex is depicted in a lot of Western and obviously Indian films, because what I'm talking about is very, very old. I mean, India doesn't yeah. follow that uh, yeah, anymore, yeah, no, sadly. No. Yeah. Um, but this kind of dominant narrative of sexuality, the sexuality we learn about is a male-centric view. Mm. I mean, most films, most TV shows, most adverts, um, it's kind of, you know, uh, man kind of is the kind of leader and he'll pull a woman and, you know, sex happens when penis goes into vagina. I mean, that's it. <laughs> it's so and mechanical. It, and that's it. And that is sex, is what we're taught. It's not about uh, female pleasure or the female orgasm or how uh, we might view sex differently to men. And we do. Mm. Um mm. And it doesn't really give space for the two narratives. I think it is very much a male narrative of sex. Yeah, yeah. It's got kind of burnt into our psyches from media and films and TV and yeah. advertising. Yeah, yeah. The man is, is a dominant and the woman is there to, uh, to receive yeah. or there as an yeah. ornament. Yeah. Um, yes, exactly. So, yeah, definitely. I think that's, that's a really interesting concept. But, yeah, of course, caveated with the fact that the Kama Sutra is a very, very uh, yes. old yes. fashion. Um, yeah, yes. it's a part of yes. Indian history, but I guess it's not yeah. something that's commonly practiced. No. Um, <laughs> uh, with, not even in India, no. Yeah, within India either. So, yeah, really interesting. Um, and you touched upon, you know, the, the lack of opportunity or I guess the difficulty with, um, with a lot of things that in, um, Indian women face. Uh, yeah. And things that we take for granted here in the UK. And that's really interesting because inequality as a concept, you know, it means different things for different people and, and is largely relative, as you've very helpfully pointed out. And you, you speak quite openly and vocally about sexual empowerment. And while in Britain and much of the West, sexual confidence has been reclaimed by women in, in a lot of scenarios. The trajectory is actually not quite the same in South Asian countries. And yeah. there's a correlation between inequality and lack of access to sexual and reproductive health facilities, which is often a huge barrier to sexual empowerment. Uh, is this something that you think is changing in India? And uh, by contrast, the conservative arm of feminism, both Western and Eastern might argue the other way and interpret sexual empowerment as promiscuity. Uh, what would be your thoughts on that? Um, there is change happening in India, but it is very, very slow. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think um, India's got decades and decades of catching up to do. Mm. Um, so... I would love to say that things are changing. Yes, they are, but there's a lot of, you know, because there's so much sexual violence in mm, India. Uh, yeah. And that is the norm. I mean, there's so much kind of rape and assault and, you know, murders and, you know, things like that. And it's it's horrific. But unfortunately, that is the the way it is in India at the moment. Mm, and the fact that people, um, just, women just have to accept it when they go yes, out. They're like, yes, oh, well, I exactly. might get sexually assaulted today, but that's yeah, just life. that's part of my thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's what I did is that, okay, I've got to just look after myself because somebody's going to try and do something to me. Mm, you know, yeah. And that becomes part of your, almost your psyche, um, yeah. where you're always looking for threat and you're always aware and you're always in defense mode. Mm. You're always going to fly to a, uh, fight of life response is always on unfortunately yeah. so yeah. i don't think it's changing as soon enough as i would like it to mm. yeah i mean would you say did you go out a lot often on your own or did you were you scared about going out on your own or was it something that you just accepted I, that might happen i did go out on my own um mm. but i was very very aware and yeah. 
um, of kind of things like, you know, you become kind of hyper aware and you're, yeah. you've got 20 eyes and 20 parts because that's how you've got to be. Yeah. Um, and I'd walk with a, with a handbag in front of me, had a very, I had these really large handbags mm. because that's how somebody wouldn't kind of grow up my breasts. You know, that's what, that was every single day. Oh my God. Yeah. And that is the reality for a lot of women who grew up in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh and, you know, countries where mm. women aren't really protected in quite the same way. Mm. Um, and that it's normal. Public transport, you'd get groped, you know, almost every day. There are special compartments. I grew up in Mumbai, special compartments for women because otherwise men will grope them and they get mm. on the train to go to work. Mm, yeah. um, and that's the lived everyday reality of millions and millions of women mm. yeah it's it's really not a nice situation to be in and yeah we do take it for granted and yeah. I, I don't even know if it is that we take it for granted I mean it's just basic human decency you know everyone should be able to have have that knowing know that they have basic human decency yeah. And, yeah, and standards yeah, yeah. so yeah. um I don't think it's even a question of taking things for granted, I think. No, it isn't. Yeah. It isn't. I think there's yeah. just um, a lack of awareness, I think, in mm. terms of how bad it is. And that's yeah. not intentional. It just is because you yes. live in your kind of world and you navigate difficult circumstances within your own world. But mm. I think I try very hard in kind of forums or anywhere that I am to, to, to mention that feminism needs to be more overarching, needs to consider the needs and the challenges of women all over the world because it's, mm. it's otherwise we're leaving a lot of women behind. Yeah. Um, so I think it needs to become a little bit more um, global, I think. Mm. Mm. Um, and yeah. even for us to sort of be happy with the strides we've made in this country to say, yeah, hang on a minute, you know, we've done this. Because it's it's not come to anyone, you know. Women have fought for this. Yeah, yeah. So if we have these rights now in the UK, a lot of women have fought for it. Mm. So even to take a moment to say, "Hang on a minute, this is what I have, and I'm grateful to to these women that came before me." Absolutely. So yeah. that I could have these freedoms. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I hear you on that. I mean, yeah, there are so many different ways in which sexual empowerment sexual liberation is interpreted um and yeah i think the key aspect is you know the human body is sacred whether you're you're male or female and yeah absolutely people just don't seem to respect those boundaries and i'm not saying this is only in india i think it's around the world you know yeah. the fact that rape yeah. against women is still so common yeah. Uh, yeah and you know globally south asian women in the west and within the diaspora have made significant inroads in industries, including in tech, medicine, scientific research, filmmaking, you name it. You know, we've made a lot of progress already, despite, you know, the struggles that we have to overcome that we have to fight for on a daily basis. But, you know, if there was one opportunity that could be given to your younger self, what would you want this to be? Um I would have, this is going to sound really silly, but I would have loved to hear about feminism when I was a kid <laughs> because we just didn't, you know. No, exactly. I wasn't aware of what this was. I just had this kind of fire within me, which made me fight with everybody around yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know why I was doing it. I don't know what it was called. So it's going to sound very simplistic, but I wish somebody no. at that point had given yeah. me 
a whole lot of books to say, hey, you know the thing you're doing, that's what this is. And mm. look at all these other women who mm. fought for the thing you're doing. Yeah, it I mean, would have really helped me, I think, yeah. to not feel like I was weird or I was asking for something that was impossible mm. or um, difficult. And it's quite sad that I didn't have that. So I do feel quite sad for my younger self, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I can certainly relate to that. I mean, I never yeah the the concept of it wasn't really uh, known to me until much later in, in probably in my 20s really but yeah the fact that i think we are quite obsessed generally with labels and yeah. a lot of the discussions i had with my grandmother for example and my and my mum were about feminism but we didn't label yeah. it as such um yeah and all women's lived experiences you know is their essentially their experience of feminism and womanhood and what yeah. that means to them is, is a very personal thing but there are a lot of commonalities that we share as women so it would be interesting I guess for me as well I, I agree with you on that to know a bit more about it if when I was younger and what it actually meant um, but I guess it is a personal journey and it allows you to reflect once you do know about it and you think well my definition or my understanding is my lived experience and it's very easy I think you mentioned with mainstream feminism western feminism to shut out the other voices because they're mm. not diff they're, they're not the same as as their own so it's, it's very easy to shut them out especially if they're completely antithetical to to what someone else might know their lived yeah. experience to be but yeah. it isn't as you said it's not about aggression and you're trying to emulate men it's it's a very personal thing and you can be feminine or whatever that means i guess it's a social whatever that means well. yeah yeah exactly, um, exactly. <laughs> but basically i mean there is no one way to be a feminist is, is mm. what my point is exactly you can be yeah. whatever you want to be however mm. you want to be yeah uh, and you can be a feminist and it's an ideology it's not how you dress or how you talk or how you behave or um any of these things mm, yeah definitely i completely agree with you on that and yeah i guess we might have touched upon this actually uh, in the conversation so far but having lived experience of both western and eastern feminism are there any overlapping patterns derived from patriarchal values which you think hold all women back universally? I'm asking you this because, you know, you've had lived experience of yes. both. So I think yes. you could probably have a very well-rounded view of that. Hmm. Yes, I think there definitely are patterns. Mm. Um, and it's interesting for me seeing it from both these lenses. Yeah. So, So when I lived in India, it was kind of fighting for basic rights mm. right yeah um the right to i don't know choose a partner the right to wear what you wanted the right not to be molested you know so they're quite basic rights right so yeah. that's in india but even here in the west mm. in the uk there are so many instances that women are held back because patriarchal structures and what do they tell us they tell us mm. we have to be slim they tell us we have to be hairless they tell us uh, <laughs> yeah. we have to kind of um you know follow these specific ways of uh, of being specific ways of being beautiful quote unquote mm. and only then do we fit in and that's patriarchy because yeah. who who decided that you've got to be slim who decided that uh, we can't have pubic hair right exactly. who made up these rules but we're all following them um and that's a very much a hidden kind of patriarchal agenda because mm -hmm. mm. i feel like what happens is if you keep women obsessed with how skinny they are or not 
how um, attractive they are or not. You know, the, the work doesn't get done because we're too busy worrying about those other things. You know, that exactly. we're not going to go marching and say, "Hang on a minute, you, you know, not giving me equal pay or whatever." Mm. You know, mm. so those patriarchal systems and structures are very much at play in different parts of the world, in all parts of the world, I think. Yeah, they are just different manifestations of it. Yeah, um, and. It, you know, even now the way women are judged and men are judged are very different. That's mm. patriarchy. Yeah. Um, and you know, that, news anchors. Nobody looks at a news anchor, a male one, and says, "Oh, why is he put on weight or his shirt is like this or whatever?" <laughs> Women get all these. Oh, she's changed her shoes or whatever. You know, yeah, yeah, that's patriarchy right in front of our TV. You know, like in front of us. Yeah. On a TV screen. Yeah. And it's sad because we've internalized it as women. You yes, know, so we women. have. Exactly. And I think that is really sad. Like that's that's what makes me really, really deeply sad. Yeah. That we've internalized it and we hold other women to account for that. You know, mm. we're saying, Oh, you're not this and you're not that and you know, and that's really sad. Mm. Yeah, I mean I, I have to say, you know, I'm I'll hold my hands up and say I've been caught in the act of doing that or thinking uh, you know making a preconception about a certain woman yeah whether it was at work or someone I just saw um in in my commute who appeared to be you know dressed shabbily and I remember thinking uh, oh instances where I've thought why is this person dressed like this they could have made a bit more of an effort with their appearance but then equally I've seen men you know in in the same state and I haven't thought oh well why is he dressed like this you know so it's definitely internalized and I think it's good to recognize it when you do catch yourself doing stuff like that and you think well why why have I got this mindset surely this is because of the way I've been brought up what I've seen what you know the expectations are of women from society and we're the sum total of all the conditioning that we experience from the time we're very little yeah um you know parental you know media you know things we hear and that's why we react the way we do so Mm. absolutely like you said if you catch yourself and you're like okay hang on a minute why am I thinking this Mm. I think that's an opportunity for change yes yes definitely and we're all going to do it because you know we live in the world we can't kind of not be part of it (laughs) you know can't help it yeah exactly it is really important to recognize it and we don't always recognize it you know because it is so internalized as you said it's it's very difficult to come out of it but yeah sometimes you just have to step out of your own shoes and just look at yourself from an outsider's perspective and go well is this acceptable am I saying the right thing so yeah. yeah um we've seen and this is an interesting um example we've seen the personification of you know indian aunties quote unquote yeah. in common uh, television dramas and films and this theme seems to have pervaded netflix and and more western cinema recently with shows like yeah. indian matchmaker and never have i ever a lot of my you know my white and black friends ask me you know is this really what asian aunties are like and i usually just tend to retort back with you know it's no different to their own aunties at christmas parties and weddings you know igniting drama and and gossip um and in a similar fashion we see a lot of competition between parents about their children within asian uh, south asian Mm. culture and there's a lot of intellectual snobbery um i know that growing up i saw that within my own family and putting others down in this way sort of embodies the the internalized patriarchy among women we spoke about you know so do you think this sort of behavior will fade within the next generation of south asian women uh, both in the west and the east um, I think that 
depends entirely on how much progress we make mm. um, as women and the rights and the, how much e- how much equality we are given in the world. Yeah. Because don't forget um, this kind of putting down of others, particularly within if it's let's say if you're talking about South Asian aunties, right? Mm. Uh, where does that come from? So if you look at kind of the traditional system, women have no power within no. that system, right? Yeah. Uh, it's the men that are deciding everything. The money comes from the men, you know, so that's the structure. So where does a woman get power from? The only little place she can is put other women down. Exactly. Exactly. So she's just perpetuating what is done to her. Yes. So she can't sort of stand up and say, how dare you talk to me like that? Mm -hmm. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she does that to the other woman who has maybe less of a power dynamic in her household. Yeah. So typically, I feel like this is where that kind of behavior comes from. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I I don't think anybody sets out to to hurt other people. No. Yeah. Do it because we haven't got enough for Mm. ourselves. Yeah. So I think I would love to say it will change in the next generation, but I don't know if it will because I'm not sure we're making enough progress. Mm. Mm. Um, Yeah. So when we feel, when is it that we are kind to other people when we're feeling secure. Yes, yes, right? absolutely. Uh, and yeah. we're compassionate and then we have the ability to be kind and compassionate and giving to other people. But when we are kind of, you know, stressed and feeling like we are cornered, mm. and feeling like we are powerless, yeah. then the human instinct is to just latch out. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it's years and years of historic... Yeah. Exactly. built up microaggressions that exactly. just manifest in in gossip <laughs> and uh, yeah exactly exactly. exactly so yeah i completely um yeah and you know with the shows as well like indian matchmaker i know got a lot of flack yeah uh, and it's awful <gasps> but it is unfortunately that is what happens in certain indian societal structures mm, yeah. that is the language that is used that is the reality yeah it is well, horrible but it is yeah pretty much what happens unfortunately yeah. yeah i mean there was a lot of there are a lot of euphemisms used for you know control and subservience, yes. and then that yes. was compromise but i don't think it's actually yes compromise. it wasn't compromise at all it was just shut up and do as you're told that's not compromise so, yeah or exactly. be quiet and be submissive and be whatever you know that's those are the value systems that are pushed mm. um as the right value systems for south asian women and girls to have yeah that's how it's been for a very long time and that's why this fight is so important you know yeah because if we don't stand up and say hang on a minute you know that's not true and challenge these systems they just go on and on and on you know yeah i mean yeah with with the whole compromise theme yeah i mean there's definitely a a uh sorry there's definitely a difference between compromise and uh simply just yeah being being subservient absolutely compromise in a relationship is like you do the dishes and i'll do the hoovering that's compromise yeah not um you know uh, i should lower the tone of my voice every time i speak to you or you never do the dishes that's not compromise that's a power by imbalance you know exactly Um, 
you know, structural power imbalances that women internalize and think, well, this is how it's meant to be. And if you sort of step out of that boundary or immediately seen as, you know, difficult or um, high maintenance and things like that. And those sort of connotations and I'm negative, but really they are positive if you, if you spin it around the other way, because of course, you know, you should be high maintenance if if that's how people perceive you. There there are certain standards as women that we, that we should adhere to, especially as South Asian women, I think, because of the historical power imbalances that we've been subjected to and our yeah. grandmothers and our mothers have been subjected yeah. to. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's a re- about reversing that. And as you said, it, it's going to take a, a long time, I think, still. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well, societal structures shape our way of thinking. Uh, in South Asian culture, it's dominated by communities, multi-generational um, extended families or living under one roof. In the West, uh, on the other hand, we've got the concept of individualism and self-sufficiency, which sort of define our aspirations and self-worth. And these structures often dominate women's positioning, especially because historically, as you as you've said, I think women across the world have been designated as homemakers up until very recently. So the focus on individual flourishment over collective family ties has certainly influenced Western feminism to center around economic empowerment for women. And that's pr- perhaps where you, you know, got the concept of aggression mm. and, and being more, you know, manly as yeah. women. Uh, multi-generational households can be particularly emotionally and physically taxing for South Asian women who often yeah. move in with their in-laws after marriage and are expected to care for them. And this actually still happens within South yes. Asian communities in the UK. Massively. Yeah. yeah. And though, though it's often by choice, you know, you, you see your parent, your mom do it. So you think, oh, well, I'll yeah. do the same thing. Um, and I just wanted to ask, you know, to what extent, if any, do you think societal structures have shifted both in the UK and in India? And secondly, you know, would you say there's a growing tendency towards individualistic values in India? Uh, and, and has this influenced feminism in India positively or negatively? Yes, it has actually. And I think um, it makes me really happy um, when I kind of talk to my friends back in India Mm. and hear about kind of women living on their own or living with their partners. So it's a lot more common, I think, in the last kind of 20 years since I moved away. I know a lot of couples that live together, they're not married. Oh, wow. Yeah, Um, yeah. Yeah. So that happens. So India's really, really moved on. So and India is kind of not of linear narrative, so I must make this clear. So while there's um, a huge power imbalance, there's a lot of sexual violence towards women, at mm. the same time, there is a lot of change as well. And it all yes. happens together. And that is very much India. You know, you yes. don't know which one it is, but they're all happening at the parallelly. Yeah, yeah. So definitely, I think a lot of women have, and this includes small towns and not just big cities, where they've kind of moved, got jobs, become independent and they're starting to think about okay what is it that I want in my life Mm. Um, and that I think is fairly new it's the last couple of decades I think maybe 20 years Mm. Uh, and then those women might kind of have a partner they might live with them so there's a lot of that and I think it's absolutely wonderful yes fantastic. Uh, it makes me really really happy to see that when I hear this Mm. Uh, and I think obviously that's then influenced Indian feminism because Mm. women are saying okay hang on a minute what about um, me? What about me? I'm making this money and this is what I want to do. Um, yeah, yeah. So, which is wonderful. And in fact, weirdly, um, COVID has damaged that a little bit because a lot of women have lost jobs and then mm. having to move back with the family. Yeah. So I was reading this report a couple of weeks ago that said, um, you know, a lot of women having to kind of 
move back in and then they're kind of stuck at home and all this kind of freedom and choice that they'd created in their lives has kind of disappeared now for a bit yes it's being undone Um, a little bit yes a little bit but hopefully you know things will pick up Mm. so that's really changed and in the UK it's it's really interesting like for me when I came in I what I observed some of the kind of um societal structures of understanding of what it means to be South Asian is very very old like mm, that doesn't yes. exist in India anymore. No, no, yes. You know, exist. these ideas of what it means to be Indian or Pakistani or Bangladeshi is almost like about 50, 60 years old. Mm, yes. Like I if you exactly go to India, because I can only talk about India because I, you know, I grew up there. I don't mm. know any of the other countries. But India doesn't subscribe to that anymore. But here yeah. we seem to. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, that's what defines me as a South Asian. And yeah. that's quite interesting to me. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, I, I was born in the UK, but whenever I do go to Bangladesh, because that's where my um, family's from, yeah. my mum my just thinks like everything's the same. So she goes yeah. and she pictures it how it was when she was there like yeah. 30 years ago, but it's completely yeah. different. Uh, and yeah. so her perspective is clearly still aligned to that a lot of the time. So her yeah. traditions that she remembers. Yeah. She tries yeah. to continue in the UK, but she doesn't realize yeah. that a lot of them have faded out and they're not actually even a thing anymore in Bangladesh, but yes. she's still holding on to those uh, old traditions, exactly. which are yeah, now non-existent. Exactly. So I find that really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, as, definitely. As, as how things have changed or not changed here in some, in some ways. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, it's been a really interesting discussion. And I asked my guests to quote um, or an, an extract uh, from a book that they've recently read uh, and explain how they relate it to any theme, whether it's feminist or anything that they, is personal to them. And I wondered whether you had anything like that today. Um, I can talk to you about the book I'm reading right now. In fact, I literally just finished it yes, okay, last yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, I can't quote word for word, but it's a very interesting uh, book called Burnt Sugar. Mm. And it's won the Booker, I think, this year. Oh, fantastic. By a young writer called Avni Doshi, I think, if I'm, if I'm remembering her name correctly. Okay. What's absolutely fascinating is it's, it's all about relationships and love between mothers and daughters. Oh, wow. Okay, that sounds it's yeah. incredible. It's quite dark, um, mm. and, but I really loved it. So it's oh, kind wow. of this um it's it's written from the point of view of the daughter who's an artist um Mm. and her mother um abandons the family and goes off to be with this uh this guru in an ashram right okay and and the daughter kind of grows up in the ashram and is is there's a whole feeling of like being disconnected in her body and her mind Mm. because she's just not able to form those attachments and she's and her mother, when in the book, is has got dementia, I think, or Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's, sorry, mm. not dementia. Yeah. And so she's kind of going back and forth in time. And then the protagonist has a baby as well, uh, just had a baby. So it's very interesting. So she kind of hates her mother and loves her mother. Mm. Uh, and she's trying to disconnect from her, but she can't. <laughs> and kind of the whole struggle between love and hate and sex and, 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 I, you know, I won't ruin the book for you, but, but she discovers something about, um, a mother discovers something about her. Mm. Um, so it's fascinating. And I thought it explored kind of female relationships yeah. so beautifully. Yeah. And it explored yeah. the dark sides of it as well. Yeah, it wasn't they're... just, 
um, love or positive or whatever. There's a lot of yeah. darkness. And I think yeah. that is very much true within, yeah, yeah. within our think, dynamics. You know, there is the light and shade and dark and light, you know? Yeah, I think it's that definitely strengthens the human connection. You know, there's a lot of darkness and a lot of negativity, yeah. but that's just part and parcel of humanity. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, that's really interesting with the, the female dynamic because, as you said, you know, the yeah. theme of love and hate, I think, is, is very common. Yeah. <laughs> amongst yes. mother-daughter relationships <laughs> exactly. universally exactly <laughs> and um it's a very visceral book and she talks about her, you know i love the way she's writing it as well um it's almost like this kind of invisible umbilical cord between <laughs> the three of them you know <laughs> i loved it i thought it was brilliantly written and again it's very female Mm. it's very very female so i i love that so i don't even think there's a in fact the two male characters are just not even there in the book you know <laughs> so it's quite interesting to and quite refreshing actually yeah okay you know there's like these um you know limited male characters and it's all yeah. about these women strong um, female leads yeah strong I... female leads and damaged women you know they're all damaged but we all are you know every I mean, one yes. of them is damaged Absolutely. in some way um so fascinating read i loved it absolutely mm, sounds fantastic i mean i've definitely been looking for some fictional uh, reads to uh, to get lost into recently because i've been reading a couple of non-fiction books and now yeah. i just want to like just get buried into yes um, yeah i do that yeah. as well you almost like crave it don't you like you crave <laughs> a particular food i'm like i love books you know they've been my entire life in fact i think i am who i am because of books because you yes. know what i'm saying to you like i didn't know what feminism was but yeah in mumbai you know i'd get like a book uh, every month you know i'd be given my dad would take me we were mm-hmm. quite poor so you couldn't really afford uh, more than that mm. but i would kind of escape into them and i found all these other worlds that were completely different from my world mm. and i think they made me imagine that i could have a life or a future that was different from the one i was being told was mine yes yeah 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 so my whole life comes from mm. books i think mm. yeah absolutely the journey from books yeah i couldn't agree more i think for me feminism is, is self-taught you know i no one told me about it i just i was just mm. very curious and it all started i think i guess at university when you get exposed to loads of academic literature um and, and a lot of it's very dull um but then you still yeah. find yeah. some very interesting pieces and that's where yeah that's where i think it started for me and yeah it's been evolving ever since and it's been really interesting getting your perspective because as someone who's you know british born i think a lot of the time people you know like my my mom and my aunts and and who who were born in in other countries are always saying well you're just english like you don't understand what it was like mm. so that intersectionality i think is something that i've i guess inherited in a way from older generations within my family but also is something that i'm still learning about as well so this this uh, discussion has been very insightful for me and i hope for a lot of other british asian women who who do listen to this podcast um i hope it will be enlightening for them as well so thank you so much for for coming on today i really appreciate it thank you so much for having me and it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you um and talking about some of the things we've discussed yeah it's been an absolute pleasure thank you for having me until next time bye bye thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode If you found this discussion or topic interesting and you want to share your views, we'd love to hear from you. 
I'm so grateful to those of you who have taken the time to leave me comments, reviews and messages about your thoughts on the podcast. It's really helped inform my direction for this season. Keep your comments coming. I really do love them. You can find us on Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook by searching for Brown Don't Frown Podcast and on Twitter at BDF Podcast. You can also reach me on my blog at tanyasweeklydose.com. Please do join the conversation using the hashtag Brown Don't Frown Podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts, I'd be super grateful if you could leave me a rating and review as this helps the podcast garner further traction. Please like, share and subscribe. Until next time, thank you.